1: Welcome to the New Books Network.
0: Hey everyone, welcome back to New Books Network, a podcast channel from the New Books Network. And I'm Meg, the host of the channel today. And we're talking to licensed mental health counselor Matthias robis Robert about his book, Beyond Shame Creating Healthy Sex on Your Own Terms. Matthias, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I'm thrilled to oh be here. So,
0: we're so excited. <laughs> Okay, so since this topic is very specific, I would love to start our time together by having you tell us about who you are and why this topic became so important for you. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh,
1: I mean, like you said, my name is Matthias Roberts. Uh, I'm a therapist based in Seattle, Washington. I work primarily with LGBTQ people who... Um, have some kind of religious trauma um not exclusively so but that's a lot of the folks that i work with um and and then i also do a lot a lot of work with people who um have suffered sexual trauma uh and uh so wide variety um of work there uh i also podcast write speak um I, i do a podcast called Queerology, a podcast on belief in being um which is so fun. It's just queer people talking about faith, belief, spirituality, that kind of stuff. Um I also co-host a mental health podcast called Selfie, uh, with Kristen Howerton, who's another therapist in California. Um, yeah, and and then yeah, right, speak all of the above. It's like a whole lot of things. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, but like this this book um around sexual shame became so important to me, I think for two reasons. One, I was trying to figure this stuff out for myself. Uh, I grew up in a very conservative, Christian, borderline fundamentalist world where I, you know I was taught a very specific context for sex. It, and as I kind of... Got out of the house, started working on a theological master's degree. Came out of the closet. Like I started having all of these questions about the the ethics that I was taught growing up, and I had a whole lot of shame around my sexuality. And so it was birthed out of that. But I also saw everywhere I was going. So I was going to these conferences. I was talking to a lot of queer folks on the internet. I was talking to a lot of you know uh, non queer folks as well. Coming out of the church coming out of purity culture, who felt like they all had the same kind of debilitating shame that I had. And so it this book originated with a master's thesis that I, that I did for, for a theology degree, and then ultimately became kind of fleshed it out in, into this book of how do we work with the shame we were given?
0: Oh my gosh, that sounds... So powerful and organic at the same time, like here you were in your own personal, personal journey of discovering your identity and stepping into your own and also meeting other folks and seeing what things were true across different experiences. I just think that is so powerful. And I love that it turned into research, you know, like that's just such a powerful powerful turn and i'm excited to get into the meat of your book but before we get started i just wanted to point out um your dedication i know this is kind of unrelated but i wanted to know um could you just speak to a little bit about your relationship with the late and beloved rachel held evans we're big fans of hers
1: yeah yeah so rachel was a uh bit of a mentor to me um and she she had a massive impact on my life before I even knew her like i would say she was integral to my story of coming out <laughs> and kind of wrestling with my faith so so before i even knew her very significant presence in my life and, and then through podcasting work and blogging work got to know her a little bit and she was just, she was a cheerleader of mine. I mean, that's that's what I put in the dedication. Like she cheered me on and was always so encouraging. I, I mean, like she was one of the first people when I signed this book contract to like send me excited notes. And like I finished literally finished the second draft of this book on my plane home from her funeral. And it still is just heartbreaking to me. Like who would have known? And she didn't get to even see it. Like I I had all these dreams about her getting to read it, you know, and that didn't happen. So.
0: Oh yeah. She just was such a pioneer and she made space for so many different identities to belong together. And she was the first person I ever saw have a baby at a conference and talk about breastfeeding and speak as a woman confidently on stage and then facilitate dialogue with women of color in a mostly white space and LGBTQ advocacy. Like, yeah, she she was amazing. And she has left such a legacy, it seems like.
1: Mm -hmm. Yes, 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 yes. Yeah.
0: Well, with her in mind and to honor her, um, let's start talking about this beautiful book that you made. Um, It's broken up into three different parts, and part one is called How We Cope with Sex and Shame. So first, I love that you take the time to define what sex and sexuality means for us as we read this book. And I'm wondering if you can define those for us here.
1: Yeah. So I, I use really broad definitions <laughs> because w- one of my major goals for this book was not to start to regulate these definitions again in the same way that, you know, churches or kind of other rigid communities will try to to put definitions in boxes uh, around these things. So. I think of sexuality as kind of being this broad flowing energy that, that can give birth to physicality and sex being that physical expression of sexuality. So, you know, our sexuality includes our, our sexual and potentially romantic orientations. Um, also the acknowledgement that there are folks who don't experience sexuality. They're the asexual and aromantic folks who, um, but regardless of where we are in that spectrum, whether we experience sexuality or not, I believe it exists at the very core of who we are. Uh, it, it is part of our personhood, how we move through the world. And, and so it doesn't have to be tied to a physical event, but it does give birth to that physical event. Um And that is how I define sex, a physical event tied into our sexuality. Um, Very broad, sometimes frustrating, but I think it's important to to, to allow space for nuance in there based on our own particularity.
0: Yeah, and it seemed very intentional that you were not trying to get to the nitty gritty so that... I mean, we're talking about a book about shame. So if we had the right and wrong answers and very specific and defined ways, I think it would be easier for us reading it to, you know, carry that shame into the book with us. And I think you did such a great job creating a boundary around the subject that also held space for the nuance and exploration for the self. So I thought that was just so, so great. So chapter two, you talk about shamelessness, and I would just be interested in hearing, um, I guess, the differences between shamefulness and shamelessness, or maybe even more clearly, how did you notice those two things showing up in the world and in your research?
1: Yeah, so I... I mean one of the major things <laughs> that I that I thought about going into this book and and as I was doing research and as I was you know starting as a therapist and seeing clients uh r- realizing that you know, when we have sexual shame, we tend to try to cope with it in a certain way. Right. And I started seeing these kind of patterns across the board that it seemed people were falling into. Uh, and, and I do want to note, like, like this language did not originate with me. This, this idea of shamefulness versus shamelessness actually came from one of my mentors, uh, Dr. Dan Allender. But I, I took those ideas and kind of fleshed them out in this realm of sexual shame. Uh, and so shamefulness is when we have so much shame, um, that we actually, we actually try to use our shame to control our sexuality, right? So, so we kind of view our sexuality as being this really dangerous thing, um, that only can be expressed within, you know, certain contexts, certain rules, uh, and, and we use shame to make sure <laughs> that we control it, right? Uh shamelessness is kind of the opposite of that. And that is when we use our sexuality to control our shame. So often when we've been in very rigid places, uh, very boundaried communities, uh, a switch will kind of be flipped. And and we'll kind of go into this, this world of like, I am so done with this shame. Uh, I'm going to go out you know, and have sex with whoever I want, which I don't think is necessarily a bad thing. Um, but we start using our sexuality to control that shame instead of actually working with the shame that is underneath. The, the shame is still there. Um, we may be trying on new sexual ethics, new ways of expressing our sexuality. It can be very generative place, but but if we haven't actually worked with the shame, we're not moving towards, you know, what what I would consider like groundedness in our sexuality, kind of a place of of health and and grounding. Yeah. Does Mm. that make sense?
0: Yes. And I love that you even just talked about the role that we allow our sexuality to play in our shame story whether it's we're using the sexuality to control our shame or we're using shame to control our sexuality i love that comparison right there that's just a great image for me
1: mm-hmm. i mean they're they're intricately tied and and, and like i would argue with all forms of shame we we can kind of fall into that pendulum swing but but especially with sexuality because like i said i believe it's at the core of who who we are our shame also targets the core of who we are and then so when those two things get tied together it creates a particularly nasty mix
0: absolutely and i do just want to name that this book has some ties to christianity and i think oftentimes When the conversation around sexuality is held in a Christian space, there becomes even potential for more shame because it is this, um, an infusion of like moral superiority, you know, so that's even like extremely compounded. And I think you did a great job talking about that in your book
1: yeah well i feel Add, like that's religion... segue. so <laughs> yes it, it adds so much <laughs>
0: it does and i i think those of us who you know maybe are in the more normative culture might not even be aware of that because it is invisible until we we seek understanding um so that brings me to part two the lies that we tell about sex and shame and i I think I felt the angriest in this section. I had a lot of underlines, a lot of notes in the side of the pages, and it's mostly because I've heard all of these statements that were potentially providing harm for folks. Um, So some of the titles of the chapters are The Bible is Clear, God Invented Patriarchy, Queerness and Sinful, and I just want to start with, um, you mentioned your own Bible deconstruction in this section, and I'm wondering if you can explain that for a bit. Um, We do have some folks on all spectrums of Christianity, so I'm curious if you could just explain deconstruction a little bit and what yours has looked like.
1: Yeah. I mean I, I I don't love the word deconstruction. <laughs> that is not and that is not a critique. Um, but I, I I think like like this idea of deconstruction, I while so important, I think it's it's a language that or it's a word that gives us language to our experience. Um where so many people are finding themselves in this place of asking questions of the faith communities that they came from and realizing like a lot of these ideas were incredibly harmful uh to me that that is like maturation <laughs> uh I, I i think like it, it the word deconstruction feels so tied to this idea of walls that we didn't even create ourselves right like like it And so anyway, I don't need to go on that rant right now, but like, (laughs) I I feel like my experience with it really came from realizing that I was queer. Like, like that was the first thing that made me realize like, wait a second, there's something wrong with me. Like that would have been the language that I used initially. Like there is something wrong with me. And, And I knew that at an incredibly early age, as I grew older, you know, got out of the house, started going to college, I started having to, I had to ask these questions of how did these things work together? I am a gay man that has not changed, no matter how hard I've tried to change it. Um, it's it's not changing. So so what does that mean? And what does that mean about my faith? And, you know, it led me on this years long journey of asking all these questions and, then discovering what I think is a, a much more inclusive, <laughs> beautiful way of expressing faith and spirituality um, that, that I really love. Um, I, I can go into more details there if that would be helpful, but that, that really is kind of my, my journey.
0: Oh, well, I just want to say thank you so much for saying that new word. Can you, did you say it was maturation, like maturing of your faith? Oh my gosh, I am writing that down, that I, something just felt right as soon as you said that, because I think the, my own process and the process I hear from others is, is it, it's in a very similar space that when things start to get a little more complex, or we realize we are identifying in different communities that you know might be the minority in different spaces especially in regards to faith that yeah we do we grow and we we do mature and i think that is just so beautiful um so you also in this section you touch a lot on purity culture throughout the book but in this section particularly you really bring it up and i'm i know that we could have a whole podcast or a whole book on purity culture and i know there are people already out there with those things but um I just would ask you as a psychotherapist, what have you seen as the biggest struggle when folks are coming out of purity culture?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, for some context for, for folks who are listening, who are like, "What what is purity culture? <laughs> uh, and it was, it was a movement, particularly in Christian communities in the eighties and early nineties continues to this day. But those were, that was kind of the heyday of it that, that promoted this idea that that like true love waits. Like, that was one of the big big phrases of it. and you can only have sex within a heterosexual marriage and any sexual expression outside of that, even to the point of sexual thoughts, sexual feelings outside of that are labeled as bad, dirty, wrong, not God's will, making you impure. And so this whole idea of, of we have to be pure in order to be, you know, faithful to God, or you know, whatever, um, it messed a lot of people up. <laughs> like that's an understatement. And you know, I, I, I think purity culture a- across the board, uh, regardless of your gender, left people with shame. Like, and I, and I think that's what went into some of this this book was realizing the amount of shame we have around sex, but also the confusion. Um, and I think that manifests in different ways depending on your gender or how you were enculturated in the world. Um, I, I think a lot of women have much more bodily experiences of that shame. I mean, I mean even to the point of not being able to have sex on a, a marriage night or. You, whenever they you know when the moment comes up um there, there's a lot of physical expression of that shame you know i, I think for for men um th- that looks a little bit different in, in the idea of, of expecting women to control their bodies so that you don't have to um there's there's shame in that but it just a like a deference of shame right it, 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 and it, i mean and then if we explore other gender identities uh and and um like all of those experiences are going to be very different too because then you have the shame of not even fitting into these categories of like one man one woman like well what if i'm neither (laughs) and all of the questions that come with that and the shame of like there's something wrong with me uh it just heaps shame on top so i i would say the biggest thing is shame, and then that can you know get into particularity uh, depending on you know how how you move in the world.
0: Mm, yeah, yeah, and I loved that your book spends time introducing these things, but what I found so helpful was that you
1: don't
0: you don't let us stay there. You really lead us into what it looks like to move beyond that. Like, let's name all these things because we need that validation that these things are happening. We're feeling them in our bodies. We're experiencing them with our relationships, but we don't have to end there. And I loved part three because not only are you talking about moving beyond shame, but you introduce these paradoxes about sex. And I think so much of this was like, oh, that makes so much sense. But it was new knowledge. And it took me the longest to get through because I was just underlining everything. I mean, like, everything. So I'm going to just, I don't want to give everything away because I want everyone to go buy your book. So I'm just going to read your paradoxes off. And then I'll ask just a couple questions. Okay, so everyone listening, get your pens out. Paradox one is sex is healthy and risky. Paradox two is sex makes us vulnerable and helps us avoid vulnerability. Paradox three, sex requires safety and safety is not guaranteed. Paradox four, we will get things wrong and right at the same time. Oh my gosh, just let that sit for a minute. Okay, and this one quote was boxed, underlined, starred. It was... It was just so important to me. So I'm just going to read it real quick. Boundaries and communication are the foundation of consent, which is an absolute non-negotiable for healthy sex. Let me just read that again because that, I mean, wow. Boundaries and communication are the foundation of consent, which is an absolute non-negotiable for healthy sex. Oh my gosh, can you just talk to us about the importance of boundaries and communication and even just the importance of consent? Mm-hmm. I would just love to hear you talk about that.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. So in moving into this section around how do we actually work with our shame? I think so many of us were taught these very black and white categories of what sex is and isn't. Uh, when the reality is, is, you know, sex and sexuality are infinitely complex. And so, so I wanted to take this approach of inviting in that nuance and complexity with these paradoxes that, that I think are true across the board, regardless of how you move in the world or how you kind of experience your sexuality, um, so this this first paradox that you're kind of talking about with with boundaries and consent, that sex is healthy and risky. I, I mean, that idea of sex is incredibly good for us. but There also carries a lot of risks. Both of those things are true. Um, but you know, regardless of how we're navigating those risks, I, 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 this idea of boundaries and consent, I, I think, create the conditions for a flourishing sexuality. Like I think without boundaries without consent we don't have healthy sexuality <laughs> we just don't um so you know so so consent being like are are all parties involved saying yes i mean it's as simple as that like are, are, are they agreeing to have this sexual encounter um are they excited about this sexual encounter right um or are, you know, do you have signs that someone may not be into it? That that is a removal of consent. Um, that can create a bad sexual experience, a harmful sexual experience for that person, for yourself, or you know, whoever's involved. But also this idea of boundaries, I, I think can help us mitigate a lot of the the risk and harm. I love Brene Brown's definition of of boundaries. The the way she talks about it is uh, what's okay and what's not okay. Uh, As simple as that. This is okay. This is not okay. And so if if you're moving into a sexual experience, asking your partner or partners, uh, what do you like? What do you not like? How can I make this experience good for you? Having those conversations, what is off the table, (laughs) what is triggering, Um, you know. Having those conversations, they can be as simple as you know, like one to two minutes, or as you know, long as you want it to be. Start setting you up for success so that the experience is good um, for everyone involved. It's so important.
0: Yes, and there's those types of questions really empower partners to use their voices to, you know, like asking those questions, is this okay? Or is there anything that's triggering, triggering those types of questions are so like full of care that they empower the other person to know, okay, this is a shared experience. It's not just about, your body or my body, you know, I know there's a lot of scripture that's been used when you get married that, you know, the wife's body belongs to the husband and vice versa. And it seems like sometimes that can be used to take away power and the voice of folks. And this, the way you just explain it and how you touch on it in your book, it really creates space to remember that everyone's voice matters in this type, this type of conversation. And that is non-negotiable.
1: Right. Yeah. And, and I think, I mean, that idea of boundaries, it, it also adds to that to that idea of, you know, consent is an ongoing thing. And, and just because someone says yes to having a sexual experience doesn't mean that they're saying yes to everything that might happen in that sexual experience, right? So, so we have to have these, these conversations about what is being agreed to, what is not, and that, that can also continue checking in <laughs> because
0: mm-hmm.
1: how easy. Is it for something to go, you know, quote unquote, wrong in an experience and consent can be removed at that moment? And, and that's important to talk about that, that those things can and will happen in, in our experiences. And, and, and then how do we navigate that?
0: Yes. Oh, my goodness. That just made me think of, oh, my goodness. I can't remember who told me this, but I believe it was parent. Or an activist who was also a parent that was talking about the importance of teaching our, I'm a mom of a young boy, but the importance of teaching our young boys how to handle rejection throughout all ages of their life because like, yes, consent is ongoing in relationships, in sexual intimacy, and we need to prepare those who are growing up to know that that's going to happen. And it doesn't need to mean anything about their identity so that it becomes a really uncomfortable situation or a potentially harmful situation. It just is what it is. And we can accept that.
1: Right. Right. Yep. Ugh, so important. Oh, so good.
0: Um, I just have a spontaneous question for you. Which of these paradoxes do you think is the hardest one to hold space for in our culture?
1: Mm, in our culture. Uh, I think the vulnerability one, um, the the ways that we can use sex to embrace vulnerability or avoid vulnerability. Uh, I, I think we can so often jump to sexual encounters without knowing what's going on inside of us or maybe our motivations for having that encounter uh and that is no critique of of a sexual encounter <laughs> um but i think when we use our sexuality to avoid vulnerability so some examples like uh, you and your partner get into a fight, and instead of actually talking through what happened in the fight, you just have makeup sex, right? You're, you're avoiding the vulnerability of of what could be a very connective experience uh, in, in talking about the fight, what, what went wrong, what was harmful. Uh, I, I think when we do that, we do ourselves a real disservice from getting to know ourselves, getting to know our partner, our partners, uh, and I see that all over the place. Um, Again, not to say that sexual encounters are bad, <laughs> but we have opportunities to go deeper, and I, I think when we when we avoid those, um, it's not necessarily doing anyone favors.
0: Yes, and I think is this a chapter that you also talk about the biology of what's happening in the brain chemistry?
1: Yeah, I, I talk about it across two chapters. Um, yes,
0: I really thought this the. I was just like in science class taking notes and I just loved that because I had not heard any of these things, you know, like how important those chemicals are and building trust. I don't want to just go off too much because, you know, I'm a learner, but I'm curious, can you just give us, um, you don't need to break it all down because I really want folks to go buy your book and read it, but maybe just talk to us about the trust chemicals because I feel like that was a big a big piece that either helped or hindered with you know either hookup relationships or short term relationships you know
1: yeah Yeah, you know, like, like, uh, I I call it the trust floor, (laughs) and the the chemicals that are involved in in helping build that trust floor and and two of the chemicals, it's not all of them, but two of the chemicals involved with that are oxytocin and vasopressin. Uh, and, And those two chemicals fire when we are connected with someone so it can be as simple as you know, a touch, a non-sexual touch, but just like a touch or a kind conversation or, you know, someone doing something nice for you. uh, Those chemicals are going to be firing in our brain when those things happen and they build over time. And and, and so that's what I call building the trust floor. because we we learn how to trust someone, and, and there's a chemical component to that of, of what is happening in our brains and in our bodies when that happens. When we have a trust floor with a partner, it can help mitigate some of the other chemicals that come around after a sexual expression. Um, and I won't go into the detail. We'll leave that be a hangover. Mm-hmm. hangover. <laughs> <laughs> I. Right, cliffhanger <laughs> yes yes one of those <laughs> yeah by the book
0: <laughs> yes by the book people I'm telling you I work in recovery and um had a co-worker who was talking about you know just her friends conversation she's having with people she knows and there is someone who's having like the exact situation that you were describing where folks use their sexuality to, you know, control their shame story. And when I was reading that chapter, I was like, wait a minute, you need to hear this. And I just felt like, what a great resource for us to really grasp what what the behavior is doing, you know, in our brains, why are we doing this? And how can we have an understanding to know Oh, we actually, we're really desiring deep connection. And this thing is preventing it from going there because it's, it's getting disconnected in a different way. You know, like the, the layer, the trust floor is not being built.
1: Right. Right. And I think, you know, like your trust floor, you know, that comes about in kind of more com- like a longer term relationships, um, Different chemicals fire, I mean, they're the same chemicals across the board, but like in different ways, depending on whether you're having a hookup or in a long-term encounter. um, I I think all of that, the science behind it is so empowering because we feel certain ways like these chemicals affect us, affect our bodies in, in ways that they can heighten unpleasurable feelings at the end of a sexual encounter that you know, if, if purity culture has weaponized our sexuality against us, that we just start seeing that as confirmation, right? There is, I feel bad, therefore there's, I've done something wrong. There is something wrong with me. I feel so much shame when it's a chemical thing that's happening in our brains. That, that if we know how to work with it, we can expect it, we can anticipate it, and and work through it without having to put this kind of morality judgments on it.
0: Yes, yes. And you, in the last paradox, when you talk about getting things right and wrong at the same time, it really felt like you were giving permission in those relationships to understand that, you know, to humanize the experience.
1: Yes. Yes, I think that's so helpful. Right. Like, I mean, that that last paradox, I think, is one of my f- favorites because it, it takes down the stakes. <laughs> where I think a lot of us, I at least was taught that sex is a very high stakes thing and it can be right. But it doesn't necessarily have to be in that reality of like, we are going to make mistakes uh, and that's okay. Uh, We are going to use our sexuality to avoid vulnerability. And sometimes we need to do that, right? Like sometimes, (laughs) sometimes we just need, we need that. And, It gives us permission to then start exploring and kind of moving towards this idea of healthy sexuality without the rigidity of like my sexuality must be healthy um instead we're, we're all on a journey and we're all learning
0: oh yes yes and that applies to all of us not just you know young singles or any age singles or married folks, but to allow us to remember that the stakes don't have, we don't have to self-impose so much pressure. We're on a journey. Oh my gosh. Yes. <sighs> okay. So, um, now that I know this started out as your thesis, it makes a lot more sense about your resources because I saw that and I was like, wow, these resources are incredible and at the end of each chapter or each section there was all these different footnotes and I just wanted to name that like I loved the resource section and I just thought it was so helpful and important. So Those of you who are listening, be sure to check out those things as well. I think you did such a great job of just including and, you know, elevating the voices of other people who have done work similar and shaped the process that you were doing.
1: Yes. I mean, I think it's so important because, I mean, this book is so high level. Like, (laughs) and I've gotten a lot of critique about that. But, like, I did that intentionally of, of, like, we're not getting into the nitty gritty of of all of this but if you want to here's how you can (laughs) here are the resources knock yourself out like go have fun but yeah um there's there's a lot more out there
0: and i think that was a great this is a great book for those of us who are exploring and evolving and not sure where to start because you do take us on such a journey that doesn't it's not so restrictive or specific it's saying here here's how the conversation could be going here's some science here's some of my personal experiences and here's what we can hold space for on the journey of becoming healthy in our sex life Mm
1: -hmm. yeah yeah
0: okay so if you could leave us with one final thought now that the book is out in the wild and we're all obsessing over it what would it be
1: you know i i I think my hope would be, and and I would speak this as, you know, in some ways, maybe a blessing of, of like, can we turn towards connection? Um, you know, sexuality, I, I believe, can be a very connecting force in our lives. And, and I mean that both interpersonally, you know, with, with other people, and intrapersonally, with ourselves. Um, our solo sexual lives can be just as important for connecting different parts of ourselves to ourselves. So c- can and may we turn toward connection? Um, because that's how we mitigate shame. Uh, and I deeply hope that this book at least helps people do that a little bit.
0: Oh my gosh, Matthias, I could talk to you all day and I mean, hopefully another time we'll get more time together, but I feel like we've taken up a lot of your time tonight. So before we go, would you just let us know what you're working on now?
1: Yeah, I, I'm working on a new book. Um, what? Yeah. <laughs> oh My gosh, tell us more. I'm super excited about it. I uh, can't give a ton of details about it yet, but it it you know roughly is about for for those of us who kind of grew up in a world where faith felt like home. Um, mm-hmm. How do we find home again after that's been shattered?
0: Oh my gosh, I cannot wait until that is out in the wild. I'm
1: so excited. Fall 2023 is, is when it's slated. No,
0: you know, know we're going to keep our eyes peeled and we will definitely reach out as soon as, as soon as we can, as soon as it's out (laughs) pre-order,
1: we're going to be reaching out. Yeah. I'm so excited.
0: (laughs) Oh my gosh. Well, thank you so much for being on the show today. I really enjoyed interviewing you and I cannot wait to continue to support your work.
1: Mm, Thank you so much. This has been a blast. Yeah. Thanks for having me.